Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Strevens. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're joined by Julianne. Hi, Julianne. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Good. Hi, Julianne. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, So obviously you specialise in in arranging mortgages. uh, And I know from personal experience that you're you're incredibly good at it. But before we get into the whole mortgage side of things and then, you know, what you do and how you go about it and some tips and tricks for people if they need to arrange a mortgage. What's what's your background? How did you get, how did you, what was your pathway through to mortgages? Um, Well, it's quite a a, um, winding path, I suppose. So um, I had a background in pizzas, a couple of... um, Of all the things that you were going to say, I didn't expect to hear a background in pizzas. No, no. That's okay. uh, yes, well, um, my parents had a takeaway, so I was selling um, pizzas at age eight, silver service waitressing, um, working in a um, retail, selling a Walkman to Freddie Star. I didn't get any famous people, really. Walkman <laughs> <laughs> to Freddie Star. <laughs> Um, I've sold a um, nine foot by nine foot mattress to um, Fat Boy Slim. Oh. It obviously didn't help, did it? No, <laughs> no, no. Sadly, sadly not for him. No. Um, There's got to be some joke about one of his songs, but I don't know them very well. So. No, sorry, I missed that one. But um, and uh, yeah, I went. I met my met my husband twenty well twenty five years ago. We've been together now. Um, and he distracted me from going to university. So we instead went off and qualified as scuba diving instructors and worked abroad. And then when I returned, I wanted to do a, a, um, have a career where I qualified. So it was either hearing aid audiology or mortgage advising. Um, and obviously the route's clear I um, took. And I worked a year employed and then have been self-employed ever after that. Well, that is a windy path, isn't it? But what was interesting, you, you know, you you obviously deliver exceptional customer service and you always go over and above. And it's it, for me, it's interesting that you ended up kind of delivering service, albeit, you know, pizzas when you were eight years old from a very young age. And mm. I wonder kind of how that influenced you in terms of how you saw service and what service means to you, because that's a very strong part of who you are. Yeah, that's true, actually. I think it's come from my upbringing because my, both my parents were self-employed. So there's been holiday flats where I've had with changeovers. Um, and, um, yeah, my father was a hearing aid audiologist. That's why I've contemplated that path, but both been self-employed and um, always appreciated that when you're selling something, um, you you want to be on the journey with the client and you want mm-hmm. to also you're, you're accomplishing something for them um and even when i was selling mattresses as jokey as that sounds um it was the nasa temper mattress so it was it actually improved the way people sleep and gave them a better quality of life i don't know how pizzas help people's quality of life but 
Um, oh, ter- honestly, the fulfillment you get from having a nice pizza, that's <laughs> a chance. As, as long as it hasn't got pineapple on, because that's just a no-no. Pineapple I want on the Hawaiian. Pizza, yeah. The Hawaiian, that's a Hawaiian, just isn't it? Work. I think pineapple and ham, that's a Hawaiian, yeah. yeah Not yeah, a very popular don't choice. It, no. Yeah, I think they always put it on the menu as a decoy yeah. to draw you towards the nice stuff. Yeah, no, it's yeah. But, but it's good service, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, absolutely. it's that thing, I suppose. Yeah. It's that classic thing as a service is experienced as well as purchased. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but I think very much it's um, for me I enjoy being on the journey with the client and achieving and working towards the end goal rather than um, certainly mortgages you are on the journey and they're making the biggest purchase of their life so it's it's quite wrong mm-hmm. but, but we were talking to somebody else in, in, in another episode about you know the service that they deliver being life-changing and, and yours is as well because you know, you do your job well and you enable them to to get the money to move into their dream home or, or you know, change to a property that's nearer their children's school or whatever it might be. You know, it's it's really big stuff. And, OK, you can say, well, it's just best effectively a house loan, but it's so much more than that because you know, where people live, that kind of determines so much about their life, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and I think um, it can be quite... You can really see people's pain when um, they're, I've got first-time buyers at the moment, they're on their fifth offer and their first-time buyers, <coughs> mortgage is arranged in principle um, and they keep having, getting, having the excitement of finding a property and then having this massive fall when their offer has declined um, or if people are gazumped or they lose a purchase or there's just some problem. So mm. um, in trying to plan as carefully as possible, um, we try and make the mortgage journeys as easy and um, smooth as it can be. Mm. So, um, so over the years, have you kind of developed almost like counselling techniques in those situations? Because I assume when people come to you, they're a bit crestfallen and, and lost that that property didn't go through. So do you have to kind of buoy them back up to keep them keep them going? I wouldn't call it so much counselling, but certainly um, I, I feel their disappointment for them. And if there's any extra tips I can give them, um, to put them in a stronger position for their next offer, then we certainly do that. And um, and every time you hear somebody that's had their offer declined, you kind of you're learning something else, another you know perhaps tactic or a, a tip that you could give to your you know to the next buyers to say mm. thought about presenting it this way. And um, yeah, I suppose sometimes we draw I draft the emails for the clients to send to estate agents as well, just to try and make it as strong as possible. Mm, sure. I was going to say, do you do a bit of coaching almost that sort of says this is the you know when you meet the when you meet the seller, make sure you do this or say this and be positive, and when you talk to the estate agent, make sure you bring out these sort of positives mm. about your offer because obviously your experience is is vast in comparison to someone who's just buying a house for maybe the first second or third time because yeah. a lot of people don't you know they don't move much do they? well that's true but the people that are experienced are still finding it hard because there's so much competition for properties at the moment i mean it's really not unusual to have um four or five offers at the same time um and i think wow. even experienced buyers are sort of taken back by that because you expect if you if you're in a really strong position that you know your offer's going to be taken um so yes if we can add some strength or advice for um how to present then we certainly do that and i think one of the things i've been doing for quite a long time is um to perhaps not show that you're so keen on the property and maybe to play it you know play it off with another one um because the, the estate agents are obviously working for the seller rather than the buyer so sure. we're definitely on the buyer's team 
And, and when you're helping people arrange mortgages, is it, does it basically always just come down to the rate? Is it just about getting the lowest rate possible? Or are there other factors and elements that you would consider when, when helping somebody? Well, this might surprise you, but I never recommend the lowest rate. Um, so, and this is because um, you may have seen some headlines lately about sort of one percent interest rates again. Yeah. They just hit below, um, which is which is fantastic. But those products are likely to be with the biggest deposit, but also a high fee. So, oh, if you're uh, borrowing okay. hundred thousand, it's not going to be cost effective to get the high, the lowest rate with the highest fee. Um, so I always present mortgages in order of total cost um, over the product periods. That takes into account the um, the borrowing, the rates, and all the fees and cashbacks. Is that? Oh, sorry, I was okay. going to say, is that quite a challenge sometimes? Because people just focus on, well, I want the cheapest. That's I want the cheap. Say, oh, yeah, is that yeah, the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine that must be quite hard because people say, well, no, I want, I want one percent. I, I don't care. And then when you have to explain to them that the reason behind it, I imagine that can be quite tricky sometimes. Um, well, initially in conversation, I might say, I, will, I do say to people that um, I will tell them that this is the most cost effective. But then when we finalise the proposal, um, I don't just provide the source and results to evidence where the recommendation is, but I'll also provide the evidences to, if, it, if we're recommending the third on the list, why the first two weren't suitable. So, so really actually providing the evidence rather than just telling them um, and I do that because when I first bought a property, I didn't go with the first mortgage advisor and went off and did it myself because I didn't, they just recommended Santander and I felt I didn't trust. Why are they telling me mm. only Santander, not telling me about anybody else? Um, I was so going to say I, to you, Julianne, does that, does that happen with other mortgage brokers then, that they will either just sell you the cheapest because they think that's what people want to hear or they'll just sell you like a, you know, a big brand name because that's the only ones either they deal with or the only ones that they they feel that they should introduce you. How does that sort of work? Um, well, other brokers do a whole of markets, um, but they may have a panel of lenders, which is restrictive, whereas we are completely independent. So apart from the very few lenders who don't allow lending via intermediary channel, we are completely independent across the UK of lenders. Um, oh, so okay, so even a mortgage broker might not be might that they could say they're whole a market but they're not really because they're still working with a panel is that sort of how it works panel is the definition of whole of market but just a panel not everybody not the same as independent so yeah that's fascinating oh, that's that is really it's interesting a subtle difference but quite an important one <laughs> yeah, it could be a real key one couldn't it the fact um, of well, and also I'm thinking about, obviously, this is dentology and it's the business of dentistry. So primarily the people that listen to this podcast are, are dentists or, or people involved in dentistry. And quite often their their situations can be you know, not conventional, slightly complex. And so having access to a wider market, I guess, is important because you might need to access some lenders who aren't necessarily the obvious high street names, but they're the people that have packages that would suit suit that that kind of demographic and that type of client would, would that be the case certainly yes i mean we, we are even this week we've registered with two other lenders um, that we haven't used well i say they haven't used before we have used one of them before but um it's about finding the most cost effective but that meets the criteria as well um so you we you really can have the extreme of um one lender will lend 100,000, another lender will lend 350. So it, um, wow. Can the extremes 
be that broad? They absolutely can. So as self, the majority of lenders for self-employed lend against an average of salary and dividends for company directly. Um, so you may have salary and dividends of 25,000, for example, certainly in, like the, you know, in the very early years, if you're, you're not taking the money out of the business. Um, but we have a handful of lenders who lend against salary and share of profit, and that might be profit before or after tax. They might take an average of two years or they might take the latest year um so the so that has a huge um, that's a massive variance isn't it if you if you do it that way suddenly you could be affording something that you never thought Mm. you'd be able to afford because it's quite often i'm assuming julian it's quite often not the actual repayment that's the issue it's actually what you can borrow is the is the stumbling block Mm. because of how they assess the criteria that's right and of course um we are loyal so if um as people so if we um, have banked with NatWest for 25 years we think that going to see NatWest or is or um, making an appointment with them that they're going to treat us the best but of course it's only one lender's criteria so um, it's I mean just seeing any broker or is the best way to go money supermarket obviously there's no way of actually looking at the criteria on there so mm. Um, I mean, some of the things you described, Julianne, are, are, are these the sorts of things, and this isn't kind of, you know, I'm not trying to talk you out of work at all, it's just, I just don't know the answer to it. Are these the sort of deals and lenders and information that, that I could find myself as an individual person, or are these sort of um, products and packages that are only available through brokers? Oh, it's not so much about the packages, but more about the criteria. Um, so Right. We've arranged many um, mortgages for clients who are purchasing, who want to buy their first practice and they need some money from their home to use as a deposit to get a better deal on commercial finance. Um, And capital raising for, on your residential mortgage for business purposes um, is pretty much a decline across the board and the reason is because residential lending is regulated and business lending isn't because you're deemed to see, you should seek professional advice um, so we have one bespoke avenue that we've been arranging for years for um FTA finance clients where um we can um, capital raise uh, sort of from lowest just over one percent i think it's 1.25 percent at the moment for a two-year fixed um, with perhaps 25% deposits, something like that. So, so um, just playing that back to you, so if somebody wanted to buy a dental practice, they could take equity out of their house using a particular mortgage that would create the cash deposit so they could buy a dental practice? Yes, so we do it as a residential wing mortgage. But only certain lenders by the sounds of things. One lender and yeah. it's outside, outside policy um, and so it, they always get declined. Um, but, but we always turn it around and it's completely wow. above board. We've put many cases through. Um, it's just a very bespoke avenue that wow. we can face with and it's very competitive. And you're, you're, that's why, I mean, you know, if nothing else, then you've got to use a mortgage broker, haven't you? Because no one else will have access to that type of facility or that type of relationship, mm. also, you know, if, if there's nothing else that anyone listens to, mm. then that's got to be one of the, the, the sort of a key one that says through your relationships and experience, you create a service and product that basically isn't there otherwise. That's right. Yes. 
Um, and it doesn't just happen with um, business lending. Um, it happens with like bespoke buy-to-let mortgages as well, because buy-to-let mortgages have, um, the way you calculate lending is, is a stress rate. So they might calculate, um, they want to see how much rent, the rent, sorry, the amount of rent will generate the maximum loan for the buy-to-let purchase or remortgage. Um, if that doesn't fit across the board, we can look at top slicing against the income so we can do affordability models. And there's probably, I, there's uh, maybe five to 10 lenders in the UK that do that. Um, but again, we're talking about competitive rates. It's just about actually, you know, where to go with it. And you're not going to find them on money supermarket, are you? <laughs> no. No. And also, I guess it changes. You know, we were talking to, mm. to somebody in another episode about arranging commercial finance. And, and he was saying that, you know, banks policies change all the time. So you know, sometimes they're particularly keen for a particular type of business and then their policy changes and they're not so keen. So then he would then you know, look to use other lenders. And I imagine you find it something similar on the residential mortgage side that um, different lenders and different institutions are better in certain areas than others. So I guess for you know, self-employed people with complex situations, you know who you would go to for those. Yeah, yet for uh, perhaps a, a straightforward someone who's employed, you know, they're a first-time buyer, they might suit a, a different sort of lender. So it's kind of a, a matching service. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of you know how to package the case and how the underwriters... Um, are going to be most favourable at, at looking at it, what you need to support it, because it's far better to actually approach case with the right packaging than um, an underwriter to keep coming back. Mm. Uh, and and what's, the, what's the process that, that people have to go through? Because one of the things you hear quite a lot is people talk about an agreement in principle, and that's obviously that fits within a process. So what does it kind of look like end from end from when somebody contacts you to getting a kind of a formal loan offer and, and they can buy their property? Okay, so that the, the first thing is that we really like to see all the documents that would support a mortgage application, so be it their income documents that might involve getting some from the accountant, um, bank statements, normally three months. Um, more often than not now, if you're self-employed, um, lenders are going to want to see the business bank statements, so we'd have a look over those as well. Um, credit reports, which um, we can provide links to be able to download those for free. Um, and that gives us a very complete um, overview of exactly what balances are outstanding. The credit record, everybody, you know, or, or many people will just know that they have a clean credit record and it's fine. But the reason to have it is because it gives us the exact details on the, the commitments are outstanding. And then I can actually assess it as, as though I was the underwriter um, to see where we might potentially have any questions raised or anything we need to iron out now before we take it any further. Um, and having that, I can very accurately um, forecast how much people can borrow. And obviously, we can then bring the rates in so they know how much it's going to cost as well. Um, an agreement in principle is um, something that you apply for with one particular lender. So um, the big downside of gaining an agreement in principle is that um, the best most competitive mortgage today it might be different in a couple of days time or next week and you then have to do another credit check um, which if you're at high loan to value 90 or 95 percent it could then cause you to decline on the second application um, so i'd much rather check um, the credit record and the affordability models because then i can be as certain as an agreement principle well, really. so 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 you, you're saying that if someone had a, a high loan to value mortgage 
with an agreement in principle and then decide, then reasonably shortly did another one with another credit check, that could end up being a decline. It, it could do, yeah. So um, you, might have a, <laughs> you might have a credit score of 990 and think you've got a great score, but lenders all have their own scoring system for those um, high lend value mortgages. Um, and multiple credit checks can have an impact on your credit profile. Wow. Oh, that's a real one. That's another one to learn about, isn't it? Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't. I haven't even thought about that. But because you would have thought, oh, it's just an a, agreement in principle. But the fact that you could do that and then potentially jeopardise your uh, another if you're not careful, then that could cause problems. And also by doing that, what it means as well is you're able to do lots of pre-qualification so that the people before in fact I don't say we have to do this again because Chris has got a call coming in no no it's not I don't know what it is it came up as zoom notification is your phone on silent no it's four o'clock so that this was the time oh that's a zoom notification that's what it is (laughs) anyway going back where we were So where do we where do we finish off? Where, where was the last bit, Oliver? Can you remember? Um, we're talking about um, agreement principles. Oh, agreement principle and uh, could jeopardise your credit score. Yes, yes. So, so, so we'll pick it up from here. So, so in essence, doing that pre work and making sure that you're aligning all their information and doing that assessment before you go too far prevents sending that information to the banks. Lots of search is happening. Because potentially, if, if that was the path that you went down, that could damage their credit score. It, it could at high loan to value, yes. Um, so we do have to be mind, mindful of that, and especially at the moment, because um, the government backed mortgages, well, several of them were launched on the 19th of April, um, but we still don't have a full provision of those mortgages. So we have got a few clients at 95 that want to buy at 95% and we're just holding off because we don't quite know yet who is going to be presenting the best mortgage for them. Um, it, really, it really does show, doesn't it, that whilst there are places like Money Supermarket, mm. possibly for people with a very straightforward requirement with a very low loan-to-value and a relatively small mortgage, you know, that, that might work. But as soon as you stray off that path... Mm. It really is a minefield of, of things, and you can see why using a broker mm. would would make sense. I suppose, especially with multiples and stuff like that. You know, it's you know your comment of earlier on when you were talking about that one one company does your salary mm. plus average dividends, or the other one does its profit share. That can make a massive difference, but you won't know, will you? You know, you'll have no idea if you've just gone to money mm. supermarket. No, that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, I mean, even for me, I'm still looking at criteria all the time. I don't, I, you know, there's no, I, can, I can't profess to know the criteria for all lenders inside out. So mm. we, the, the main thing is to start with the most cost effective and literally work down the list um, mm. and be able to evidence that as I go. So, mm. um, and it must be hundreds of mortgages out there, mustn't there? It must be hundreds. Yeah. I mean, I mean how, how, how many are there? How many people, I mean, this is a very hard question to answer, but how many people roughly lend to, for UK mortgages? Uh, well, I'm going to guess, oh, well, I'm going to guess there must be around 100 lenders, I guess. Um, wow. I, 
I have to admit, I haven't really looked at the number of lenders. And, and, and then I guess every lender has different products and packages and services. So within that, it then just mushrooms in terms yeah. of the assessment of, of different services that they have to offer as well. Mm. Um, well, with, really for me, I'm doing, we're looking at residential or buy-to-let, um, buy-to-let as a limited company and then some semi-commercial things. That's kind of the scope of... of um, of my work right yeah and has the um obviously the at the moment um there's been a, a, a cessation of stamp duty and with these new government mortgages coming in has, has that stimulated the market is that partly the the issue with multiple offers coming in on on houses practices practices, well, practices? They, there's not enough properties to meet demands ah. um so Although, and we're kind of nearing, we're pretty much this week, it's the, really the last week to try and get it through by the end of June with zero stamp duty. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a 50% reduction between July and September. But when you actually have a look at the formula, it doesn't really take, it doesn't make much saving, really. Right. Um, but there are still quite a lot of clients that still want to get it through for the end of June. But I think it's a really tall order because a standard purchase would take three months to go through. Um, even without, you know, with only a couple of people in the chain. So, um, yeah, sure, sure. And how do people how do people contact you, Julianne? If 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 you know somebody wanted to contact you, is there a, a, a website or you're on social media? What's the best way to get in touch? Um, so um, the the website can be found at ftamortgages.co.uk. Um, I can. It's always good. My I think my mobile number, the office number, is on there certainly. But I do like to have a conversation with people initially to get a good idea of what they're looking for, um, and just to be able to sort of make sure I'm not missing anything really. But we try and make it as easy as possible. Um, we don't have long fact find appointments as um, as clients want experience. They go to a bank directly. Um, I really try to get the information from the documents and just find out a bit more about, um, just add a bit more substance to the case and the research by having a conversation up front, which normally we're looking at about 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Mm, right, yeah. Oh, it sounds good. So, yeah, like I say, it, it feels like old-fashioned service. Yeah, well, I think we that can is. both say, can't we, that we, you know, you've done work for us and... Oh, yes. Great service. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we always finish by asking our guests three questions. So the first question we've got for you is if you could meet anyone, anyone that you can just pick out the the sky, anybody you want to meet, who who would you like to meet? Well, it's maybe a little bit sad for me, actually, because I would have liked to have met three of my grandparents. Um, So I feel um, there's something missing from my heritage by having not met them. So that's news. Oh, that's right. And I think the, the thing, well, it is. And I think what happens is as you start to get slightly older and kind of the older generations pass on, I think you do realise that once that, once grandparents or great grandparents have gone, you kind of lose those, those first hand stories. Yeah, I was just checking you weren't going to look over at me when you said you should get older. <laughs> I was just thinking that. That's no, normally, I, normally there'd be a I'll, point I'll, where I'll you would mention about time. my age, but, but I'm you just do, looking to see you say you, 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 you lose, and if it isn't handed down, you know, when those, when those generations have gone, that that information and knowledge goes with them. Mm. That's right, and I think you certainly have a better appreciation for your parents once you have your own children, don't you? But, yes, um, yes. 
And our second question, our second question is, if you could be the fly on the wall somewhere, so you're on the wall as a fly and you're looking down on a situation, what room would you be in? Where, where would you be? What would be a fascinating scenario for you to, to watch over? I think I'd go back a year and, um, and listen in on the government meetings where they were advised um, by all the professionals on what steps to take, whether to go into lockdown, what to do, and to hear, and to hear the for and against arguments from both sides. Um, because I, I think you know, we, we, get a, we only hear a certain view of the snapshots of it. Um, so I'd like to hear a lot more of the full story from those meetings. Mm. And then... Yeah, I'd like to jump forward, you know, be able to see forward and see where we are in a year's time because who could have possibly forecast that we'd be in this position with um, the government being able to control like, everything that is happening in our, our lives? Absolutely, yeah. And also the, the interesting part as well is, you know, what would have, what's played out as they expected, what was different and with that benefit of hindsight you know, what things could have taken a different path. And we'll never know because yeah. it was such a unique situation. Should Cheltenham have gone ahead? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, there were so many things that kind of did or didn't happen. But I genuinely believe that I, I think people, you know, on the whole, try and make the best decisions possible. Um, it's just whether they play out or not. But I, I agree. That would be a fascinating room to, mm. to, to sit in. And then the last one is you've got two people and you can swap jobs. So think of two two individuals or two characters where you you swap jobs. So, um, you know something like we've got you know B Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. You know if they if they switched, how would they feel in one of those roles? So have you have you got two people you can think of? Yes. Well, I think um, the BBC News is far too dry and depressing. So I'd swap switch um, Hugh Edwards and Michael McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, Michael McIntyre reading the news. Yeah, and I assume in their, in their styles as well. So Michael McIntyre would make it very light-hearted and funny. And poor Hugh Edwards, who's quite a down guy who does read the news, he's going to have to get some, some comedy genes in there somehow. Well, he must have a funny side, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think you might be right. That's been brilliant, Julia. We really appreciate your time today. That's been really useful. I think there's been loads of tips for people to take away oh, as well. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Julia. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. 